All right, chapter 10, uh, how, do, how do we measure the stars and how do we determine uh, the different properties of the stars? Here's a nice cluster of stars image there. Can we tell anything about them? Well, I can tell you a little bit. I can tell you that there's some hotter stars there and some cooler stars. And we can tell that by the, by the colors. A red star is relatively cool. The redder it looks, the cooler the star is going to be. The blue stars are relatively hot. So much, much hotter than the sun. You know, two, maybe three times hotter than the sun. The red stars are uh, much cooler than the sun, maybe half the temperature of the sun. So even just by looking at that, I can actually give you a little bit of an idea of what the temperatures are. I can't tell you exactly. There are measurements that could be made to determine the temperature of a star uh, precisely using that. But even just looking at the light, we can get some ideas of what the, star, what the stars are like. So what we're going to look at here is first of all we're going to look at some of the nearest stars, uh, look at some of the ones right around us. That's our solar neighborhood. Those are the few stars that are really close by to us. There's not a lot of them. Uh, the nearest star is a little over four light years away. Four light years means that when we see it, as it, as it is, we see it now, we go look out at it, then it's, you know, what, 2000 and, they're see, if they were looking at us, they'd be seeing us from 2009, right, four years ago little over four years ago, so early 2009, is what they would be seeing. If they could actually have a gigantic telescope that would actually really zoom into the Earth, okay, that would be tremendous. We can't even come close to doing that. But if you could do that, you'd be seeing us as we were four years ago. They want to see what's going on right now, they've got to wait four years for that light to get here. That's the nearest star. Other ones are 8 or 20 or 30 light years away. It takes even longer. Um, we'll look at things like the brightnesses. How bright is a star? And there's two different things to look at there. There's the apparent brightness. That's when you walk out at the sky, walk, out the, walk outside at night and look at the stars and boy, there's a bright one, boy, there's a very faint one. Uh, how bright do they appear to be? There's ways to measure that and actually put a number to it that we'll look at too. But there's also what we call luminosity. Luminosity is how bright the star really is. And it's the best way to really compare stars. Because if I just go outside at night and I see a really bright star and a really faint star, can I compare those two? Can I say this one's a lot, are they certainly on how they appear, but can I really say that one is much brighter than the other? Or are they both really the same brightness, but one's real close to you and one's real far away? Well, if they're the same brightness, all of a sudden this one's going to look a lot brighter than this one just because it's so much closer to you. So the apparent brightness does not take distance into account. The luminosity measures the brightness that it would have, that the star would have at a standard distance. So then you could physically compare. If you compare the luminosities of two stars, you can tell whether they're, say, brighter than the sun or fainter than the sun. We'll see how we can measure some of the different properties. I've already told you a little bit in that first picture about how we can measure the temperatures of the stars, how we can measure, we can measure the sizes of the stars, how big a star is. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's called the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. Uh, you're going to be seeing that in chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, probably into chapter 14 a little bit. So you'll be seeing quite a bit of that diagram, so we'll spend some time. That's the one, once we go through this lecture, I'm going to go back and do another uh, discussion of the HR diagram, probably do that on Thursday. And then we're going to look at our next jump in the cosmic distance scale. So how we can measure distances to stars. We looked at some of the very basic methods, work for the very nearest stars, but how can we measure even further stars? How can we start to get distances out starting within our galaxy? 
And we'll continue with that. Again, you'll see that that distance scale will continue to come back over the coming chapters as we get better and better at measuring distances further away. And then finally, stellar masses. How do we determine the mass of a star? How can we actually weigh a star? You can't go put a great scale out there. Wouldn't work, right? Because the star is just sitting out there in space anyway. Plus, it would melt anything you sent close to it. But there are actually ways that we can determine the masses of the stars, uh, weighing them by their gravity, watching their effects of their gravity on other objects, and using that to determine how much matter there is in a, in a specific star. So when we look at the nearest stars, um, I mentioned parallax. Parallax is looking at an object from two different perspectives and watching it shift. And I think the example I gave you last time is if you hold your finger out at arm's length and alternate opening and closing your eyes, it's going to appear to shift. I can point it at the printer in the back, and if I close the other eye, all of a sudden I'm pointing at something else. Well, nothing's changed. My finger is still pointing in the same direction, but I'm either looking at it a little bit this way or a little bit this way, and that's going to change where it appears to be in against the background. A star will do the same thing. A nearby star will appear to shift its position compared to the more distant stars. So if you look at a star here, and we measure it in January, we compare it to those background stars. We wait six months. Okay, Got, got to wait. That's the Earth moving around the sun. Once it gets halfway around the sun, six months, that's about as far, that's about as big of a baseline as we can easily get. That's two astronomical units. Now we look again that star would now be in a slightly different position. So it'll appear to move. In January, we see the nearby star here. In July, we'd see the nearby star there. It's moved a little bit. If we measure that angle that it's moved, how many arc seconds that it's moved, we can get the distance. One of the distance measurements that we use is given here is called the parsec. A parsec is really uh, the distance that a star with a parallax of one arc second would have. So a star with a parallax of one arc second would be at a distance of one, one parsec. And you can sort of see where it gets its name. You know, a parallax of one, set one arc second parsec comes from parallax of one arc second. There isn't any star that close. There is no star that close. And if you recall, remember arc seconds, right? There's, we have one degree and we have 60 arc minutes. So divide that degree into 60 arc minutes. Divide each arc minute into 60 arc seconds. So in one degree on the sky, there's 3,600 arc seconds. The full moon is about half that, or 1,800 arc seconds. So in order to measure the parallax, you've got to take the full moon out there, divide it up into 1,800 little pieces, and you're trying to measure an angle that is that small. So it's no, uh, it's no, reason, no, no wonder that they couldn't measure this. You know, the Greeks could not measure this. Can you measure? Could you look at the moon? Could you estimate you know, half the diameter of the moon, a quarter, maybe even a tenth of the diameter of the moon? You might be able to do that with your eye. Trying to measure one, one eighteen hundredth of the moon? Boy, you've got to have some eyes, right? And even then, you're not going to be able to get that kind of accuracy. So, and and that, that would be if you were at one arc, that would be if you're at one parsec. One parsec is a little over three light years. 
There isn't a star except for the sun. Qualify that. Except for the sun, there is not a star within 3.26 light years. Alpha Centauri is about a light year beyond that. It's the closest. It's a little over a parsec. And its parallax is about three quarters of one second of arc. So, not 1800, you're talking more like, you know, 2300 or so. Divide the moon into 2300 little tiny pieces, just little lines going across, and you're trying to measure one of those. Extremely small angle you're trying to measure. Can we do it now? Certainly, we can measure much smaller angles than that now. But it does give you one of the ideas as to why uh, the Greeks did not want to accept that the Earth was moving. Because even going to the scientific method, the Earth moving made a prediction that you should be able to measure this parallax. And no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't do it. It wasn't until the 1800s that we got accurate enough instrumentation that could find this small angle. So even at the time of Galileo, there was no parallax could not be shown. One of the reasons that you know, the idea of the heliocentric universe did not want to be accepted was because you couldn't, I mean, it made a prediction that you couldn't see. You could not find this shift in the position of any star. Now once we learn that, once we can actually begin to measure those, the parallax of a star, we get its dis distance directly. So if you measure its parallax, if you can measure stars, and we can do this now for hundreds and hundreds of stars, and measure that shift, measure that tiny angle, all you got to do is take one, divide it by the angle you measured, and you've got your distance like that. So very easy to get measurements if you can measure that angle. But remember, we're starting off with very small numbers. The further you put that star away, the smaller that angle that gets. And even though we can measure things now in even, you know, hundredths of an arc second, you know, measure a few hundredths of an arc second, that's pretty good. You're getting much further away. You're getting, if you can measure one one hundredth of an arc second, you're getting out to hundred parsecs. You're getting out to about three hundred light years. You're still not getting about a third of the way to Orion that we saw. And that's part of our own spiral arm in the galaxy. So even if you're measuring one one hundredth of, a, of an arc second, a hundred times that, okay, now instead of 1800, you're doing 180,000, you know, blows my mind trying to get that kind of a small measurement of the moon. But if we can measure that, we're still only getting the very small local, the solar neighborhood. Only the very nearby stars are all that we can measure in terms of distances. But this is really the only direct measurement of distance we have. It's the only way we have to get direct measurements of the stars. Everything else that we look at has to build on this and use other methods to continue it. So, the nearest, uh, nearest star is uh, Proxima Centauri, not Alpha Centauri. Actually, Alpha Centauri is actually not the closest star to the Sun right now. Right now, because that does change. But Alpha Centauri is actually the brightest of a three-star system. So there's three stars orbiting around each other. Proxima Centauri, you might think proximate, close, is actually on the near side of that right now. So there'd be two stars two brighter stars orbiting around each other. That's what we see as Alpha Centauri. So you have two stars there that are orbiting around each other. And then there's another star that's orbiting around them. And that's Proxima Centauri. That's the closest to us if the Earth is down here right now. Takes it a long time to orbit around there, but if you come back in thousands of years, there'll come a time when Proxima Centauri is on the other side of them and is not the closest star to the sun. Close, not the closest star to the Earth. 
So th that will change. There's also, the stars do move. So there are times when there will be other stars that are slowly moving. Again, coming back, talking millions of years. They're moving very, very, they're moving very quickly, but their distances are so tremendous that uh, it takes a very long time to really come back, to really make that motion through the universe. It's, it moves stars. To, there will be stars that will come closer than Alpha Centauri. There will be stars, you know, millions of years from now that will be closer than a parsec away. We'll actually have stars that get closer than that. But it takes a long, long time. Even though the stars are moving relatively quickly compared to speeds we're used to, you know, they're not traveling at 50 miles an hour or 60 miles an hour. They're traveling hundreds or thousands of kilometers every second. But the distances are just so vast that it still takes a very long time. Um, I'm going to give you a quick, I'm just going to run through this part real quick. I'm going to do this a little bit better because this is really what our lab is based on. So I'm going to do a little bit more of that in the introduction to our lab and talk about that section here. But just to give you some idea of the scales. And if you take the sun as being a marble, so little tiny marble, the earth would be, put the sun here, the earth would be a little tiny grain of sand orbiting about a meter away. So. Just to give you an idea, what's in between those two? Between that marble and that grain of sand? A couple more grains of sand. Mercury and Venus. That's it. In that whole meter, there's essentially nothing else. Where's the next uh, star? That next marble, where is the Alpha Centauri system? About 270 kilometers away. 270, that's about, about 150, 150, 160 miles away. So what's in between those two marbles? Nothing. Just to give you an idea how empty, how, how empty the rest of the universe is. The re that's just the nearest part of it. The solar system would extend out, you know, a few meters, 50 meters or so from the sun. You'd have the different, you'd have the Earth, you'd have the other planets, you'd have the Kuiper Belt. Beyond that, from that 50 meters up till 270 kilometers, 270,000 meters. There's nothing. There's the occasional, you know, uh, scattered random particles, but no, nothing of significance. There's no other stars. There's no other planets. There's nothing else located in between those. And what I'm going to do again is we start with me, before we start the lab, which is going to involve sort of calculating a little bit of a scale model of the solar system and doing some calculations for that. I'm going to go through and do a couple calculations and show you a little bit, a little bit more visual model. I'm going to do it there. But wanted to cover at least what they had on what we have on this as well. So the whole idea behind it is that really that the solar system and space around the stars and space out between the galaxies is extremely empty. When you look at that, you look at the pictures. You see all the pretty pictures of you know objects. We saw the Orion Nebula today. You see other objects. But when you take a look at your pictures of the solar system, right? You see all the planets. You don't take pictures of all the empty space. There is so much empty space out there. And that's one of the reasons the distances are just so vast. So here's a, here's a map showing the 30 of the closest stars to the sun. You're looking out to 1 parsec, 2 parsecs, 3 parsecs, about 10 light years away. There aren't a whole lot of them. And you probably don't recognize most of those names. You might have heard of a few of them. Um, Alpha Centauri, a lot of people have heard of. Uh, Sirius, right, the brightest star of the star in the sky, the dog star, might be one you've heard of. 
Uh, perhaps sometimes they use in science fiction, they'll use some of these other close ones, Tal Seti, Epsilon Eridani. You might have heard of some of those, but a lot of them just have big catalog names. So, Lakel 8760, you know, great, great name, right? Ross 154, Ross 128, etc. You know, just, catalog, just catalog names. And what that means is that most of those stars that are really close to us are not the bright ones that you see in the sky. They might be very close to us, but they're really uh, very small, very faint stars. In fact, many of these, uh, Barnard star, for example, are not visible to the naked eye. Might be one of the closest stars, but we still can't see it. We can't see it with our naked eye. Alpha Centauri is relatively bright. That's a star similar to the sun. Sirius is the brightest star in the sky. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit hotter than the sun, a little bit hotter and brighter. So those are relatively close. Most of these that are just as close are incredibly faint. So not even really visible with the naked eye. A lot of them were not discovered. That's why they're catalog named, is that they were discovered when people were using telescopes and cataloging every star they could see, notating positions. So most of the stars that we see that are close to us are relatively faint. Most of the stars that you see when you go out at night are really the brightest, brightest stars. Yes, sir? The red star. 61 Cygni. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Is that at nighttime? Are you able to see that? Because I swear, like when I, when I look up sometimes in the night, like I see a red star. You might see some. Um, not that one specifically. That one would not be a very, it's not a very bright star, not something that would stand out. Often when you see it, sometimes, sometimes you're seeing Mars. Mars will look reddish, the planet, and it will look red to you. Um, if you're looking towards Orion, which I've already erased off the board, um, the uppermost star on the upper left is actually very red. That's Betelgeuse, is a very red star. So there are some stars that do look very red. They're very cool stars that you can see. Probably not specifically 61 Cygni. Um, I don't think, I'd have to look up the exact magnitude, but I don't think you're going to see it very well without a telescope. It would be a very relatively faint star. But yes, you will see some objects there that look quite red. You'll see others like Sirius that will look whitish. So we will see that, and that is telling us again about the temperatures of them. All right, Barnard star, I mentioned that one. This has what is called, this is the largest proper motion of any star. Proper motion just means how fast it appears to move across the, the sphere of the sky. If we look at the two pictures in the upper left, got to look at the arrows there to see the star. It's not a very prominent one. You can see it does not stand out at all. But we can see where it was one year. There's the arrow. Whoops. Let me get the, let's get the mouse arrow off there too. Okay. A little bit better. So we got one arrow there. We can see the, we can see where it was this year. Note the other positions. You know, there's stars, stars, stars. All this, this the rest of this pattern stays the same. But this one has moved from being there to being there. It's moved a significant amount. That's the fastest you'd ever see a star move in the sky. That's not in one year. That's in 22 years. But that's one of the fastest moving stars. It's fast moving because it's so close and it happens to be moving relatively quickly as well. So we can measure that and we can then, using the proper motion, is one way to look for stars that might be relatively close. One way we use to find what stars are we going to try to measure parallax of? Go out there and look out there at night. How many stars are there? You're going to pick the brightest stars? 
Well, they didn't know it at the time. I've already told you those aren't the closest. Those aren't the closest. Those are some of the more distant stars. So what stars are you going to pick? You know, it's a time-consuming process. You've got to take pictures of them now, take pictures of them six months later. You want to pick the best candidates. Which ones are most likely to show me a parallax? Well, if something's moving relatively quickly, appears to be moving quickly across the sky, it's probably very close, right? If you're driving down the highway or the road, the telephone pole's right by you, zip right by, right? The telephone poles off in the distance, they move by a lot slower. It's just a matter of how they appear to move. The speed is exactly the same. You're moving at the same speed. Everything is moving exactly the same and appearing to. It's just because they're so much further away, their proper motion would look less. So when you see objects with high proper motion, then those are good candidates to try to measure parallax. The good thing about proper motion and trying to measure it is that it adds up. So this is over 20 years. The star is moving. So we see it's moving from the lower left towards the upper right, meaning that if we took another picture 20 years after this, it would have moved even further away and further away and further away. So it gets easier and easier to measure over time because the distances add up. Parallax, you're just shifting back and forth, so the angle is exactly the same every year. It doesn't add up on each other. So looking for these stars, like Barnard's star, that seem to move very quickly in the sky, is a good way to select the best stars that will give you the best chance of measuring a parallax. When we look at overall, we see two different speeds. We see there is a velocity, a proper motion moving across. That's how it appears to move in the sky relative to the other stars. That we can measure by looking at the proper motion. We can take pictures of it now, take pictures of it 20 years from now. Go look for pictures that were taken of that part of the sky, you know, 20 or 50 or 100 years ago and compare to measure how far it's moved. There's also a radial velocity. There's a part of the velocity that's coming either towards us or away from us. And we can measure that with the Doppler effect. So Doppler effect will measure how fast that star is coming either towards or away from us. If we put them together, we actually find what the real space motion is. How is that star really moving in space? Because you might measure Alpha Centauri and find out that it's got a blue shift, right? Blue shift means it's moving towards you, getting closer. But if it's really moving like this, it's never going to collide with us. It's just, it is moving in our, moving generally towards us. But eventually, as this space motion, as it moves across, as it gets to this point, now it'll still be moving across the sky like that. But now its radial velocity can actually be away. That portion will actually be away from us. So just because we measure something that's moving, that says it's moving towards us doesn't mean it's an imminent collision coming up, even if it's in a billion years from now. It's not necessarily, that's not necessarily what's going to happen. All right, let's get on to brightnesses here and let's see. Luminosity. Luminosity, or what we call absolute brightness, is really measuring how much energy the star is emitting every single second. So how much energy is it really giving us? That depends on the distance. So in order to know the luminosities or how bright a star really is, to figure out how bright that star you're looking at at night really is, we have to know the distance. If we don't know the distance, I can compare two stars how bright they appear, but I can't tell you whether it's a really, really bright star but just very far away or a really faint star that's just really close. They could look exactly the same because it really depends on the distances. The apparent brightness 
is how bright the star appears when we look at it from the Earth. So how bright does it appear to be? That's what you see when you go out there at night. Go out at night, look up at the stars. Boy, there's a bright one, there's a faint one. And you can compare relative brightnesses. But it does not tell you anything about how bright that star really is unless you know the distance as well. If you don't know the distance, all you're doing is saying, well, it looks really bright or it looks really faint. It's not telling you anything intrinsic about the star. If you know the distance, there are ways to calculate the brightness. So you can calculate the apparent brightness depends on the luminosity or the true brightness divided by the distance. So if you know the apparent brightness, that's easy, right? You go look at how bright it is. It's a bright star, it's a faint star. There are ways to actually measure and uh, get a number attached to that. If you can measure the distance, then we can start to figure out how bright these stars really are. We can actually begin to compare stars. Because I can't just go take 100 stars out there and compare them by how bright they appear to be. We don't have that distance factor. They might look like they're all at the same distance. They look like they're all sitting on that celestial sphere. But they're not. They're all at greatly, greatly uh, widely varying distances. So while we might see them as on the surface of a sphere, we see a star there, a star there, a star there. We see several stars. This one might be really close to us. This one might be far away. This one might be here. We're actually, it's actually three-dimensional. So we're seeing a whole bunch of stars. This one much closer to us. This one much further away. And we just can't compare that directly. We need to know those distance measurements, which is why distances are so important in astronomy. So if we can determine the distance, again, the equation itself isn't so important, as that if we know the distance, we can measure the apparent brightness. That's really easy just because it's how bright things appear to be. If we can figure out the distances, all of a sudden we can really compare stars. Is that star brighter than the sun? Is it fainter than the sun? How does, that, how does Alpha Centauri compare? Looks a lot fainter than the sun, right? Every star in the sky looks a lot fainter than the sun. But they're at such great distances that that might make a difference in determining their true luminosities. And in fact, we'll find that most of the stars you see when you go out at night are many times brighter than the sun. The sun would be much very, very small. If you put the sun at any of their distances, it would either be very faint or not visible at all to the naked eye. So even though the sun is just incredibly bright because it's so close to us, it's not necessarily, not really a bright star in the sky. There are a lot of brighter stars. The stars in Orion are hundreds to a thousand light years away. If you put the sun out there, you wouldn't even be able to see it. You need a telescope or binocular or something to be able to actually pick out the sun. Those stars, so think of how big and bright those stars would be. Put one of those you know, in the center of our solar system. Boy, it got, it got a little bit warm all of a sudden. Much, much brighter. gets a lot brighter. And we think it's pretty bright looking at our sun. Imagine what it might be looking at some of these other ones that are much more distant. Now, the brightness follows what we call an inverse square law. We saw that for gravity. That if you were twice as far away from an object, that the gravity wasn't half as much. It was one quarter as much. And that's what happens to light as well. The light, as you travel outward from the sun, spreads out. And if you imagine you know, light going through one square meter at, we'll say, one astronomical unit at the Earth's distance from the sun, if you go twice as far away, the light doesn't get diffused by half the amount. It actually becomes one quarter amount. That one square meter actually becomes four square meters. Or at three times the distance, it'll become nine. At 10 times the distance, it'll become 100. At 1,000 times the distance, it'll become a million. So the brightness drops. 
very quickly as you get further away. And that's why, as I said, if you put the sun uh, many light years away, it would get to the point where it would be, be barely, barely visible. But we saw something similar to this with gravity. Gravity, the further you got away, you know, twice as far away, was now one quarter the gravitational strength. The light strength does the same thing. If you were to move out from one astronomical unit to three out in the asteroid belt, the same square meter that we get a certain amount of energy of here on Earth would be one-ninth as intense. The light, sunlight would be one-ninth the brightness. If you could go out to the distance of uh, Neptune at 30 astronomical units, 30 times the distance, well it's going to be 30 squared or 900, one nine hundredth of the solar energy. That's still within our solar system. Now imagine going even further out. By the time you get out to Alpha Centauri, if you could go to Alpha Centauri and look back, you could look back towards the sun. It would be one of the brighter stars in the sky which is what Alpha Centauri is for us, and they're very sim they happen to be very similar stars. But it would not be anything more than one of the brighter stars in the sky. And that's for just the closest of the stars to us. So, what I was trying to emphasize here was that what we might see, this observer might see looking at a star here, star A, a very faint star that's close, star B, a very bright star that's further away, but just looking at that brightness, I don't know this distance, so when I look at them, all I see is how bright this one appears to be. It's going to look a lot brighter than it really is. This one's really going to look brighter than it truly is. This one is going to look fainter than it truly is. And they might end up looking exactly the same brightness in the sky. So even though two stars might have exactly the same brightness, might look like they have when you go look at them at night, one might be a very faint star, very close to us, one might be a very bright star much, much further away. All right, let me, where am I? Let's just save magnitude scales for next time. So next time I'll go through the magnitude scales and talk about how we actually measure, what do we use for numbers to actually measure. I've said we can measure these brightnesses. And I'll go through, go through that and I'll start that next time and finish up probably most of 10. We should be through chapter 10 by, by Thursday. Questions, questions, questions? Oh.